John 14, we've been on this for some weeks now. We call the series Seeing Jesus. I trust it's blessing you. It's sure helping me. Man, I've learned some things. I'm growing. I see him better now than when we started. And to me, that's no small thing. That's about as big as it gets. It's seeing him and knowing him and walking with him. In John 14, 21, our text says this. Jesus said, He that has my commandments and keeps them. Sounds a lot like willing and obedient, don't it? He it is that loves me. Who really loves him? Not just the folks that say they love him, but the people that do what he said. That do what he said. He it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Later on, we see that Jesus submits to going to the cross. You know, after the flesh, his humanity, he recoiled from it. And he said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But he always would come back to this immediately and say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he said that the world may know that I love the Father, and even as he's commanded, so I'm doing And he did it. How many know that he exemplified what he said right here? Absolutely. Did he love the Father? How do we know he loved the Father? He absolutely obeyed him completely. Every day and every night. Did the Father manifest himself to him? Did he show him things? Oh, come on. Can you see this? Is he telling us this is available to us? Yes. Yes. He walked on this earth as our example. Now, he went to the cross as our sacrifice, as our substitute. And in that regard, he's in a class by himself. Nobody could do that. Nobody was qualified to do that but him. But in his earthly walk. That's not in a class by itself. I know people have tried to make it so. If it were, how could he tell us, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. No, he's expecting us to walk like he did in the earth. We can't go to the cross like he did. We can't pay the price like he did, but no need to. It's already paid. You know, sometimes uh, I've heard this and seen this in the healing ministry and other places. I've seen parents, I've seen friends, I've seen spouses cry and say, man, I wish I could take their place. If I could take their place and I could have that disease instead of them or I could have that sickness instead of them. Listen, somebody already has. (laughs) Come on, do you understand this? Somebody already had that heart long before you ever came along and had the ability to do it. And he did it. He took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. The chastisement of our peace. Mental and soulical anguish was on him. The judgment for all our sin came on him. He already did it. Nobody needs to feel like and want to and wish to take somebody's place. He already has. 
He already has. And that means healing and deliverance is available to every one of us. If we just believe and receive it. Now, he said, he that loves me will keep my commands. And he said, I'll love him and will manifest myself to him. The Amplified says it like this. I will reveal, manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. This is already ongoing. The Lord has been revealing himself to us in this very study. In these chapters, we are seeing him. And if we'll commit and consecrate to obey him like the master obeyed him, how many believe he'll show you things on a Monday morning? I'm not talking about falling into a trance or necessarily having open visions, but there's spiritual seeing and hearing and knowing. And how many believe all of us could walk in a much higher degree of spiritual awareness, seeing and knowing? It's not as complicated as people have made it out to be. You might have a situation at work where you just have tried everything you know. And it's a problem and you can't get it straightened out. But the Lord just show you, wake you up in the middle of the night or in the morning while you're getting ready. And you see yourself saying this certain thing. You hear yourself saying it. And you see yourself doing this certain thing and this working. And you just go say it and do it and it happens. It works. We're supposed to live like this. Jesus lived like this. He saw himself go over to that man at the pool and tell him to get up. And he did. He saw himself put mud in that man's eyes. He saw himself go out there and call Lazarus out. He just said what he heard. He just did what he saw. And miracles happened. And the Bible tells us the same things available to us. I know it sounds too big. A lot of people don't believe it. But that's what Jesus said. So you've got to make up your mind whether you believe traditional religion or whether you believe what Jesus said. Which one you pick? Let me just ask you. Huh? huh? Then you can have the same kind of things that happen in his life happen in your life. True or not, it's true. Go with me to this 13th chapter of John. We've come all the way now to the 13th chapter. We saw the works get greater and greater. There was the turning of water into wine in chapter 2. And we saw the nobleman's son healed. We saw the man at the pool of Bethesda healed. We saw the blind man, born blind, healed. And now we've seen Lazarus, who was cold and dead for four days, raised from the dead. Didn't we see it? And just like the master said, they got upset about that guy at the pool of Bethesda. And he said, well, he said, I can do nothing of myself. I just do what the father shows me. I just say what I hear him say. And he said, and greater things than these, he's going to show me. And you're going to see that you may marvel. Well, this raising of Lazarus from the dead, though, put the religious leaders into a tailspin. I mean, they got so mad, they got so upset, they are bent now on killing him. They even plan to kill Lazarus to try to do away with this miracle because people are hearing about this and they're flocking to Jesus and they're, you know, they're afraid that they're going to lose their position and lose their place. How many know they should have got out of their office and they come down there and said, Lord, help me. Right? I know this is right. I want to be a part of this. Hmm? 
And if you get kicked out of your denomination, well, okay. (laughs) If some people disassociate from you, well, bless their hearts. (laughs) They don't know what they're missing. But in the 13th chapter, we see this thing is finishing up. In John 13, verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Jesus knew when his hour was come, didn't he? Can you know? Prior to this time, the master says concerning him, and he said, my hour is not yet come. You know, they're going to try to kill him. He wouldn't even run. He'd just look at them and walk right past them. He didn't hide anything. He said, my hour's not come. What did he know? They can't touch me. My hour's not come. But here we see after the raising of Lazarus from the dead, he says he knew his hour was come, and now he's even been hiding himself. I know a lot of folk don't like to hear that, but that's what the Bible says. So I know there's time that you can be bold and walk through the middle of it, and there's other times you need to get out of town. Lay low. (laughs) Am I making this up or am I quoting scripture? That's what the word says. How do you know which one it is? How many know if you're supposed to get out of town and you're acting bold? (laughs) Or if you're supposed to be bold and you're running out of town? How do you know which one to do? You need to be led. Follow the leading of the spirit. He knew that his hour was come that for what? For what? That he should depart out of this earth, out of this world. Can you know when your hour is come? Yes, you can. You know, Paul talked about this. He said, uh, I'm in a straight betwixt too, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But he said, to stay with you is needful for you. And he's deciding. So he wasn't settled that his hour was come. And you can see through the conversation, he makes a commitment that he's supposed to stay a while and minister to them. We do not have to let things dictate to us when we leave this world. Are y'all with me? I understand things tried to take Jesus out before the time, but he didn't yield to it. He didn't fear it. And he kept saying, no, my hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. Then he knew when his hour was come. And we can know things by the Spirit if we'll pay attention. And just because circumstances have come or a disease has attacked you or this has happened or that's happened, that doesn't mean your life is over. That doesn't mean you're done. Didn't the Bible say with long life, I'll satisfy you and show you my salvation. Well, you need to check your heart. I know uh, there was a sister, actually a mother in the church where I attended way back years ago as a boy and then as a teenager. And uh, this lady is well respected in the church. She'd get up and testify. Everybody would be blessed. Just a pillar in the community. People looked up to her. And she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. 
Well, I had just in my teens now, mid-teens, I had just found out that we had been redeemed from the curse of the law and hadn't got over it since. I'm telling you. And yet I found out that God would heal you. I believed that he could, but then I found out it's his will for everybody. Oh, man, hadn't got over that yet either. And uh, so I, she's in the hospital dying, bed fast. And I'm thinking, you know, she's not that old. And I'm just young, wet behind the ears, you know, in my late teens at this time. And so I'd go by and see her, though I worked near there. And so I'd go by and visit her every day. And I'd say, how about if I read some scripture to you? Oh, yeah, she thought that was great. Real sick, on medication and all painkillers and all that kind of stuff. But, oh, she loved the Lord. And I'm talking about reading the Bible. Oh, yeah. So I'd read about uh, healing, of course. And I read about by Jesus stripes you're healed. Seemed like it made no impact on her at all. I read about laying on the hands. I read about anointing with oil. I read about the prayer of agreement. I read Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2 and Matthew 8, everything I knew. And she's like, yeah, great. And then she starts talking about Job's boils and Paul's thorn in the flesh. And, you know, she reckoned her time was up. And I thought, man, I'm not doing too good. Well, day after day, I'd, I'd come. And, you know, everybody's situation is different. And there's something that will appeal to them. There's something that clicks for them. And as ministers, we need to be led by the Spirit. And so uh, I came in one day, I'd been looking, I asked the Lord to help me, and I came in this one day, and I, I was encouraged about Psalm 91. So I read Psalm 91, and, and I said, you know, uh, I read the verse 16 with long life, he'll satisfy you, show us his salvation. I said, are you satisfied? She said, what do you mean? I said, do you feel like you've done everything, everything? That you need to do and want to do. I said you know we need you down at the church. She said I like going to church. I said I know. And boy I got a little twinkle. When she said that I thought I got a little response. I thought all right okay. Uh, I said we need you. You know us young people just coming up. Just finding out about the things of God. You've been walking with him for all these years. I said are you sure that you know you need to go now. And she said, she began to tear up. She said, well, there are some other things that I'd like to do. I said, well, it said right here, with long life, he'd satisfy you. She said, it sure does. I said, it sure does. I said, let me read it again. I know, man, I'm on something now, you know. I'm on something. So I read it about another four or five times. She said, well, I got to think about that. I said, yeah. I said, it's right there. It's right. She said, well, it sure is. I came in the next day, she's sitting up on her own. <laughs> sitting up on her own in the bed, talking pretty good, her voice is up. And she said, you know, I've been thinking about that. I said, me too. I said, let me read it again. <laughs> with long life. I mean, she's eat up with cancer. You know, they give her no hope. They're just giving her medication for the pain. And nobody expects her to recover. And so... Uh, I said, you know, man, it sure blesses us when you get in the church and stand up and testify and tell about what the Lord, she began to tear up again. She said, oh, I love the Lord. He's been so good to me. I said, we need you down at the church. 
Are you sure you're through? She said, no, there's some other things I want to do. I said, well, you can do them. It's the will of God. Do you know over the next few days she got better, 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 better. They released her. She came home. A week or two later, she's standing up in the church, testifying, lived for years. Oh, somebody say glory to God. Don't let anything or anybody dictate to you and tell you when and how you have to go. If you'll check your heart, you'll know. It's not time. It's not right. The hour's not come. I need to resist this. I need to overcome this. When it is right, you'll know. You'll be satisfied. You'll know I've run my course. I've finished my course. I've run my race. I've done what I need to do. Now I can go. Till then... Till then, you stand, you fight, you overcome, you win, you get healed, you get your needs met, you stay and get satisfied. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It's really simple. Are you satisfied? Then stay. (laughs) Stay a while longer. Somebody needed that. Jesus knew that his hour was come. He knew. It's here. That he should depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them unto the end. We're going to see in this chapter, Jesus' love for his disciples. How many would say, I'm one of his disciples too. He loved his own. And as Jeremiah says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This love doesn't end. He's about to be mocked, spit on, scourged hours away from this. And you know what he got on his mind? Them. He loves them. That's what he's got on his mind. And keep reading. It says, supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin. And begin to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Is this an act of love? It's a demonstration of his care for them. Then comes he to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you know not now. But you shall know hereafter. Man, that describes so much of our life, doesn't it? He tells you so, and you, so many times you don't know why he's telling you this. But if you're smart, you'll go ahead and obey and submit to it. And a lot of things you'll learn later. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. He meant, well, this is what servants do. And he thought, oh, no. I mean, maybe I wash your feet, but you don't wash my feet. 
He meant well. And the Lord said to him, If I wash you not, you have no part with me. One thing about Peter, when he sees he's wrong, what did he say? Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Lord, wash me down. I mean, if that's what it takes to be a part of you, then hey, I want to be washed. The Lord said through Brother Hagin this years ago, he'd say it numerous times, qualities of a person who could receive from God a right heart and mention three of them. One is quick to forgive, quick to repent, and quick to believe. And you'll find this is true. These are indicators of a right heart and a good heart before the Lord. What would be the opposite of that? Slow to forgive. What does that mean? You know you should forgive, but you don't. You put it off and you put it off. And Slow to repent. What does that mean? You know you're wrong, and you may be going to get around to it sometime, but not today. And a day turns into a week and a month and, and a year, and that's not a good heart. Did you hear me, friends? And slow to believe. Seeing the work of God, hearing the things of God, you think, well, I'll have to think about that some more. And you got all this evidence in front of your face, and you got all this revelation. Yeah, I'll have to think about it. These are the people who do without, who live unhappy, unsatisfied lives, while other people are blessed. How many think you ought to be quick to forgive? How long does it take God to forgive you when you come sincerely and confess? What if he said, come back and check with me next week? I'm not in a forgiving mood right now with you. Lord, when are you going to forgive me? I don't know. I'm going to have to think about it. Well, if he's quick to forgive you, how in the world could we be justified in delaying to forgive somebody else? And quick to repent. Peter sees that he's wrong. He said, Lord, there's no way. You're not going to wash my feet. He said, well, if I don't, you don't have any part with me. He said, well, here, wash me. How long take him to repent? Right now. When you see you're wrong, when is it time to get it straight? When? When you see you're wrong, you see you've messed up. What should you do? Don't dance around it. Don't put it off. Don't ignore it. Don't avoid it. Step right up and go, I was wrong. I was wrong. No excuses. I was wrong. Admit it. And change. And quick to believe. Quick to believe. He said. Wash my hands and my head. He said. He that is washed need not save to wash his feet. But is clean every whit. And you're clean. But not all. Or you might say like this. Not all of you. Not all the twelve. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, said he, you are not all clean, not all twelve of you. So after he washed their feet and had taken his garments and was sit down again, he said to them, Know you what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Here's a key to happiness. I said, here's a key to happiness. I wish I could say this strong enough. Do you want to be happy? How many want to be happy in here? Jesus told us how to be happy. If you love him, you'll keep his words. Happy are ye if you do them. Do what? If you love people and serve people in that love, it will make you happy. We got people serving on teams all over this place that have tapped into a little of this already. How many have found out that nothing will bless you more than being a blessing to somebody else? Have you found out? I mean, sitting around thinking about yourself all day and what you want and what you need and what you don't have and what you can't do will make you miserable. Won't it? Won't it? There's a lot of folk looking at me with some knowing looks, like you've tried it out before. Well, (laughs) don't do that. All of us have dabbled in it. You know that. But quit it. Do you want to be happy? Did Jesus have the answer right here? He said, you'll be happy. If you do this, do what? What did he just get through doing? Taking the place of a servant. Now, they... uh, You know, there's not as much pavement and carpet around then as it is now. And so you could be clean and had a bath, but then you got to make your way back to the house. And your feet, they were the open shoes, you know, and your feet would get dirty. So you clean all except for your feet. And that's what he's saying. But he is demonstrating to them that he cares about them to the point that he's willing to humble himself in front of them and take the most menial task and help wash the lowliest, dirtiest part of them. Because that's the love of God manifested. How many know in the kingdom of God there's no place for playing big shot? Just absolutely no room for it. None. The Lord said this on more than one occasion. He said, the person that's the greatest in the kingdom of God is servant of all. Didn't he say it? Why? And it's not just going around demeaning yourself. It's a matter of just being willing if it'll help you. If I can bless you, there's nothing beneath me. Don't feel like I'm too big or too important to do it. If it'll help you, I want to do it. What Paul said, I'm willing, he said, though you don't act like you love me right now. He said, I'm willing to spend and be spent. Didn't he say that? This is the love of God. And Jesus is facing all this stuff in just a few hours. And what's he doing? He's washing their feet. Somebody said, what an example of love. But by contrast now, look what happens next. He said, verse 18, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, 
that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that receives whomever I send receives me. Would that be true today as well? And he that receives me receive him that sent me. When Jesus had said thus, he was troubled in spirit. And he testified and said, verily, verily, I say to you, one of you shall betray me. I mean, this is a tender moment. This is a special time, isn't it? This is the last meal they'll ever have together naturally and physically like this. And he's focusing on them. A few verses here later, he gives them the commandment. The great love, the thing that's most important to him is that you love each other like I have loved you. And in the midst of this, they should be enjoying each other. He gets troubled in his spirit. And he looks at him and he says, one of you is going to betray me. Now, he knew it was going to happen. He had seen it in the scriptures. He knew who it was. And it still troubled him. Why? This was his friend. Let me read this to you, the scripture that he's quoting from. There's more than one. Zechariah 13 says, one of them will say, what are these wounds in your hands? And he'll answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Psalm 55 and 12, Psalm 55, 12 says, for it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my guide, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in company. Psalm 41.9. He said, Yea, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted which did eat of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. The complete Jewish Bible says, Even my close friend, on whom I relied, who shared my table, has turned against me. Even though he knew it was going to happen, he knew who it was, he saw it in the scripture, it was fulfilling prophecy, still, it troubled him, it bothered him, it got to him. Now, I want us to look at this, because we see such a contrast in this verse. We see such an example of the love of God. And by contrast, we see such an example of the devil. We see the love in Jesus. God is love. We see God in Jesus. We see the devil in Judas, don't we? And this is, what happened with Judas is a sobering thing. Very sobering. Because, ask yourself the question, how did this happen? How could he do this? How did he get to this place? Now, how many believe that, you know, Jesus, he emptied himself, we know that. He laid aside his 
omniscience and omnipotence is God didn't cease to be God, but he laid it aside and became like other men. But he walked with the full anointing and the full wisdom of God. And when he chose the twelve, how many know he did not do that haphazardly? He prayed all night before he did that. And how many know he said, I don't do anything except what the Father shows me. And not only that, but he gave Judas the responsibility of handling the finances. Didn't he? Was Jesus fooled? No. Did he make a mistake picking this man? No. I don't believe he did. I submit to you, Judas wasn't like this when he picked him. Did you hear me? Mm Mm-mm. He changed. Something happened to him. Happened in him. No, I believe Judas was just as excited as Peter and John, Matthew and Thomas. Do you believe it? I believe he was so excited when he was selected to be one of the twelve. And when they launched out in the beginning days of the ministry, and he saw the water turned into wine. He heard those amazing sermons. He's sitting right there. They ate with Jesus every day. He sees all this. He hears all this. I believe he was ecstatic. I believe he was over the moon, you might say. But something happened to him. What happened to him? How could you be in the presence of the master day in and day out for years and do this? It needs to be sobering to us because if a person could do that in the presence of Jesus, you could certainly do that in the presence of those that are his. And could you blame Jesus for what Judas did? Did Jesus mistreat him some way? Is Jesus to blame for any of this? No way. No way. Judas did this on his own. Nobody made him do it. I've heard some scholars and theologians try to imply that Judas didn't want to do this, but Scripture had to be fulfilled, and he was just obeying the Lord. Don't you believe it? The Scripture didn't say Judas obeyed the Lord. It said he betrayed the Lord. Didn't it? No. And Jesus said, it must needs be that offenses come. He said, but woe unto him. Through whom they come. It was said concerning Judas. Before this came to pass. He said it was better for that man. That he had not been born. Well now if you've repented. And wound up right with God. Then how could it be better. That you were never born. Unless he's lost. And I don't know of a reason to think. That he's not. This is sad. This is serious. Isn't it? Why is this in here? What are we supposed to get out of this? What are we supposed to learn? Go to Matthew, please. Matthew. What is it? Chapter 26, maybe? Yeah, Matthew 26. Get some insight into this. I know this is sobering. I know this doesn't make you jump and want to run around the room. But this is Bible, too. Isn't it? How many know we need all the counsel of God? 
Not just the parts that make us shout. Matthew 26. In verse 6. When Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. There came to him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment. Poured it on his head as he said it meat. <coughs> when his disciples saw it. They had indignation and they said, to what purpose is this waste? John's uh, gospel account singles out that Judas was the main one saying it. The others got caught up in it. For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. John tells us that he said it not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and carried the bag. One translation said he helped himself to what was in the bag. He was embezzling. When Jesus understood it, he said to them, Why trouble you, the woman? She's wrought a good work on me. You have the poor with you always, but me you have not always. Friend, that she's poured the ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. And I say, wherever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, this that the woman has done be told for a memorial of her. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest. See, Matthew connects these, doesn't he? This was the thing that put Judas over, was this gift that the woman made to Jesus. Isn't that something? Now, people want to make it more complicated than that. But do you know why Judas betrayed Jesus? M-O-N-E-Y. Money. Don't try to make it any more complicated than that. Money. That's it. Money. And people, you know, why do folk get so upset about folks like us preaching on prosperity? Or having nice stuff or giving or sowing things. I had a, uh, I was in a service one time where uh, somebody gave a preacher there a new Rolex. I think it was a $15,000 watch, something like that. And the guy that was sitting beside me had a fit. After the service, he just went and quit talking about it. He said, oh, oh. He said, that ain't right. That ain't right. You know, they should have put that money in the offering. They should have sent that money to missions. They could have fed people with that money. Who else said that? Who else said that? Why did he care? Hmm? Why did he care? It wasn't his money. It wasn't his watch. What's it to him? See, what people are revealing, and they don't, they don't know what how much they're telling off on themselves. But they are saying that that money means way more to them than that person does. It matters nothing at all to them that the person was honored, that the person was blessed, that the person might enjoy that. That means zero to them. What they care about is the money that it cost. Notice, keep reading right here. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests. And what did he say to him? It says why he came. Why, did, why is he there? What will you give me? 
There's no noble purpose here. What does he want to know? How much money will you give me and I'll deliver him to you? See, their big problem, they've been wanting to kill him for some time. Talking about Jesus. And their problem is they're afraid to mess with him in public with the crowds around. Because they know how the crowds love him. And they think they're going to have a major riot on their hand. And the thing is, when he leaves the public meetings, they don't know where he is. Because even of recently, he's been hiding himself. And Judas was privy to this private information. And he said, how much will you give me? And I'll give this to you. I'll tell you where he is, where he stays. And they covenanted with him for what? 30 pieces of silver. This was the going price for a slave, not even an extraordinary slave, just an average slave. And uh, he agreed with it. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. So what does that mean? He's looking for, you know, they're having meetings together. And what's he thinking about? He's looking for the right time and place to, to sell Jesus out. Oh, friends, let me draw your attention to this contrast again. What are we seeing here? We're seeing the everlasting, amazing, greater than anything in the universe, love of God, which God is. God is love. What's Jesus doing? He's on his knees washing these guys' feet. He is willing And headed to the cross, he's willing to give everything he is and everything he has to spend and be spent. He'll kneel down himself, king of kings, and wash your dirty foot. And by contrast, here's a man that has received nothing from Jesus but love and respect and a special place in his life. And he sold him for so little. How many of you are seeing God and you're seeing the devil? Aren't you? The love of God will pay anything, sacrifice anything, give anything, give up anything, anything, everything to bless you, to help you, make you more comfortable. Get your need met. The covetousness, pride, and selfishness of the devil will sell you out for nothing. For lunch money. See, when when that woman gave Jesus that gift, by today's standard, it'd be somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen, twenty thousand, maybe as much as fifty thousand dollars. And that was a good chunk of money. And uh, when Judas saw that, why did he get so upset? Why did he say, ah, what a waste. This could have been sold and given to the poor. Why? Because now that it's dumped on Jesus, ain't nobody going to sell it. The money's never going to get in the bag. So he's never going to be able to get any of it. That's what he's so upset about. And he opened his mouth and told way more than he meant to tell. What he said is, I don't care if Jesus is honored. I don't care if you love him and you want to express that to him. I don't care about him. I care about that money. 
And so since he couldn't get his hands on that money, he decides he'll just go sell him out and get some money. Now we'd like to believe this is not happening today. But it is. People are selling out so cheaply. Notice this. Go back to John 13. I know this is sobering, like I said. But I believe the Lord would work in us today such a thing that we would despise this so much that we'd never be like this. We would never be a Judas. We'd never be like this, but that we would be like the master. Instead of being willing to betray somebody for a little to nothing, instead of that, we're willing to pay anything, give anything, give up anything to love and and serve. John 13. Notice this. He was troubled. He said, one of you shall betray me. The disciples looked one on another, doubting or wondering about who he was speaking. And there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Who is that? Well, that's a guy pinning this writing. (laughs) And he just wants you to know (laughs) that he was there. And his head was right on Jesus' chest. And he's the disciple. Uh, One of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And Peter beckoned to John to him. He said, ask him who it is. Going to betray him. So he did. He just, of course, his head's right there. He just leans up. He says, who is it, Jesus? Who? And Jesus said, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot. The son of Simon. Now get this. Verse 27. And after the sop. Something happened. When he handed him this piece of food. Satan. Entered into him. An honest man. A man of any integrity. Could not sit there. And smile. And act like your best friend. Are you with me now? And take food from your hand and receive an act of care and love and smile while he's planning to kill you. And by receiving that act of love in hypocrisy, he completely opened himself up to the devil. And at this point, he's possessed. It hadn't been to that degree until now. Here's a man who would have outshouted you in the early days of Jesus' ministry. Are you listening to me now? Here's a man that looked like the epitome of faithfulness and trustworthiness. They turned the money over to him. You understand? There must have been some indications that he loved God. How many understand? These are not dumb carnal people he's dealing with. This is Jesus. What happened to him? What happened to him? Do we need to know? We do need to know. Because if it could happen to him, walking with Jesus every day, 
I'll tell you exactly what happened to him. It's no secret. We camped on it for weeks and weeks around here in that series called Thanksgiving Victory. If you weren't here, I highly recommend it to you. What happened? It always works the same way. Judas entertained thoughts that he should have cast down. Thoughts and feelings came to him. And it's always the same. I mean, the particulars are different. The details are different. But it's always the same. They're not doing what they are to be doing. They're not paying me what I'm worth. They don't treat me. They're not acknowledging my gifts. I deserve more. Why is he getting into the bag? How does he justify that? He's taking money out of the ministry. How does he justify that? I'm putting in extra hours. I'm doing extra work. And they're not acknowledging me. And There's got to be some kind of a justification. And it all has to do with poor, pitiful me. I deserve better. I deserve more. Was it true? It wasn't true. I'm going to understand the man's got one of the most blessed opportunities and positions in all the universe and time and eternity. He's one of the twelve. But I don't care who you are. I don't care who you're around, how fine the people are that you're able to serve and be around. makes no difference if it's Jesus himself. You can entertain a wrong thought. You can get to feeling sorry for yourself. You can get to thinking about what you deserve or what you don't deserve. And as sure as you do that, you're going to open up the door and begin to yield to the temptation. And here's the thing now. As that happens, if you continue to act like you're somebody's friend, eat their food, take their money, use their benefits while you're talking about them behind their back, friend, you can yield to the devil to a point where you go off the deep end. Put up Proverbs for me, please. Proverbs 27, 6. What does it say? Faithful are the what? Are the wounds of a friend, but the what? Kisses of an enemy are deceitful. How did Judas betray the master? With a kiss. And Jesus looked at him when he did it. He said, you betray the son of man with a kiss? Tell me why he did it again. Anybody remember? Why is he doing all this? Why? Money. Don't try to complicate it. Money. That's it. How many would rather have an honest slap than a backstabbing Judas kiss? Come on. I mean... (laughs) Give me an honest slap in the face rather than a Judas kiss. I'm not dwelling on this to judge Judas. This has already happened long ago. And it is what it is. I don't know his eternal fate and I won't suppose to surmise about it and it's not my place or my business but I know this I never want to do such a thing how about you in my life I never now 
I know of ministers. I've seen it. I know of people that are receiving support from folks, strong support, that are using their name and using their resources and all the time just tearing them apart behind their back. How many know that is a yellow coward traitor? Be a man. Be a woman. Let me know what I'm talking about. If you don't agree with them, if you don't believe in them, if you're not with them, don't eat their food. Don't take their money. Leave. Leave. Are y'all with me? That goes for the people you work for. Doesn't it? What's the difference? That goes for the people you work for. You don't take a check. You don't take their money. You don't use their stuff and benefit from them and tear them down behind their back. Are you doing the same thing Judas did? If you can't agree, if you can't take it, be a man. Leave. Or if you're wrong, shut up and repent. And get right with God and shut your mouth and work. And turn them in a good job. And be faithful. Where do you think you're going to find anybody to work for? Are you going to find any church or ministry that has all perfect people? Who always know everything and do everything perfectly right. If you found it and joined it, you'd ruin it all. Because you sure are not. How many know what I'm talking about? That so many folks are so. Was Judas blessed? Was he blessed? Sitting there. Jesus handing you food to eat. Loving you. Just got through washing your feet. How many know he washed Judas' feet too? Just got through washing your feet. Handing you food. How many know night and day Jesus opened his heart. He shared his heart with these men. He taught them. He helped them. He blessed them. And this man is sitting there thinking about money. That he can get from betraying best friend he ever had. Best job, best situation he ever had. Somebody said out loud, oh God, help me never be so deceived, be so ignorant, to be so selfish, so covetous. Lord, help me not to be a Judas, a thief, a liar, a deceiver. Help me to be a faithful person. A person of love, a person who gives, a person who serves like Jesus. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.